Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. So we've been singing about Jesus as our Saviour, as our Lord, and behind me there's going to be this image that you're going to be watching, depicting the cross, the journey to the cross. And that's what this morning is all about, the journey to the cross. And I'm not going to go into all the details because I think we know the story. Most most people know that Jesus, the Son of God, was crucified 2,000 plus years ago. And the reason behind that was we needed a saviour. Our sin has put us in a dark place. And mankind, humankind, needed redemption. And God's son, Jesus, paid that price. And he was nailed to a cross, which was a criminal's death back in those days. The son of God, the pure, righteous, holy son of God, nailed to the cross and he died now we know that Sunday is coming but on that very first what we call Good Friday there was uncertainty and this morning I want to just chat about three different people their journey to the cross and what happened for them what I feel what I've been thinking about trying to identify with these people, trying to not have the knowledge that I know that Sunday's coming, what it must have been like for them. And so come with me as we consider Mary, the mother of Jesus. So we know the story of the conception of Jesus, that an angel appeared to Mary. And I'm I'm going to read from Luke 1, if you have your Bibles with you. If you don't, it's not going to be on the screen. So if you get distracted and you want to close your eyes and just listen, that's fine. But in Luke 1, verses 26 to 38, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly, most highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was 16, if an angel had appeared to me like that, I would have been pretty freaked out. At that point in time, I didn't even know the Lord. And so that would have been even more scary. But she was greatly troubled. The, the word says, and he was, she was troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this must be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, who is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And here's a powerful point. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary replied. May your word be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Now right here... Consider the reality that Mary was experiencing. Can you imagine what she must have been feeling? She's about 16 years old. She's pledged to marry somebody else. And she's told that she's going to conceive by the Holy Spirit, the Son of God. She might have been thinking, I might have been out in the sun too long. She might have been thinking, this is really weird, I'm hallucinating. But no, she took that word and she pondered it in her heart. Imagine how she must have felt. Imagine imagine giving birth to the Son of God, knowing that responsibility. You know, this is God. And she carried that little babe in her womb. I find that hard to actually even get my head around that this is the son of God coming in human form through this young woman who was faithful to God. But what's really struck me in the last few days is how much trust did Father God place in this 16-year-old young woman to birth his son? Now, that's one thing. Now, those people who have raised children... No, those first few weeks, not a lot of sleep, not a lot of confidence, and you're rushing around thinking, I don't know what to do. Imagine caring for the Son of God and that responsibility. You know, Jesus still would have had to have his nappy changed. He still would have had to be fed. He still would have been crying in the middle of the night unless he was absolutely perfect and didn't need all of that. But he was human. And so Mary, the mother of the Son of God, had to tend to the human needs of this babe. And God the Father trusted her. I don't know about you, that would have been such a heavy responsibility. And I think she would have taken that really seriously and really worked hard to, you know, imagine, imagine, oh, oh, Father's watching. You know, I can't let this babe out of my sight. You know what I mean? It's like, The burden of parenthood, the burden of motherhood is already heavy going. But add to it, this is God's son. I don't know how she slept. Maybe she didn't. (laughs) But the bottom line is there is a bond between a mother and a child. There is with dads as well. But that little babe has come from within you. And it's, I was going to say, suck the life out of you while it's growing. And, you know, just we won't go all there. But... There is that very special bond. You can't break that tie between mother and child. And so imagine as Jesus grew up and she watched him and she and Joseph did their very best to meet all his needs because that's God's son. It's not just a normal child. This is God's son. It has to be the very best. We have to do our very best. Imagine watching Jesus grow. And I think that as parents, we look and we, we look at our children and we go, oh, there's a bit of me. And, uh, oh, yeah, just like his dad. I wonder if, this is me having a little think during the week, I wonder if 
Mary saw any of herself in there, it's like, well, that's his dad. Imagine, how would you know? So, yeah, I thought you'd laugh at that, but you didn't. (laughs) I was waiting for it, no? So Mary didn't, probably didn't see much of herself in Jesus because it, it was all his dad. So as Jesus grew to this young man who was engaged in the word and and gathering people around him. We know that when Jesus was around 30, when he started doing his miracles, that Mary pushed him forward um, as any proud mother would. You know, you do it, you can fix this. I know you can do this. And, And as he was developing, as he was growing his ministry, I imagine that Mary would have been thinking, is he eating enough? He's staying up too late. He's walking too far because that's what mums do. They're always not worrying but considering the needs of their kids. I wonder how she felt when he wasn't courting, when he wasn't looking for a bride. Was she expecting when he was a young child that he would grow up and get married and have children? Imagine what she was thinking and wanting for her son but then on the other hand it's He's actually the son of God. He's not really my son. Yes, he's my son, but it's the son of God. So there'd be this dichotomy happening here. Yes, he's human, but actually he's, he's actually God. That, I would have felt really freaked out. I would have been on my best behaviour all the time. That would have been really exhausting. So I want to skip into Luke chapter 2 when we read of the shepherds who visited who were visited by an angel, and they said, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, uh, the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, goodwill toward all men. Now you're probably thinking, hang on, this is Easter, We're getting a Christmas message, but without the birth of Christ, there's nothing about Easter. Okay, so I just want to reflect on that. But I want to draw our attention to verse 19. Sorry, no, let's go back to verse 18. It says, All those who heard it marvelled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Verse 19, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them. In her heart. So while you might have thought, Shishi, where are you going with all of this stuff about him growing up? And, you know, that's a bit weird. What I want to put in here is that all of those things that happened while he was growing up, Mary would have had these, the words that were prophesied to her that she held on to and were pondering. So every time something happened, she would be filtering it with, well, the angel said, that he is the son of the Most High. The angel said that he will be a saviour. The angel said, so all of Jesus' life, everything that was happening, Mary was filtering it through the word that had been spoken to her because that had been grounded into her spirit and she knew that as truth. So I want you to hold on to that. She knew that God would give Jesus the throne of David. She knew that Jesus would reign over Jacob's descendants forever. She knew that Jesus is the Christ and that he is saviour. 
So imagine all of this. We've had the experience of Mary the mother raising God's son, being trusted not just with birthing him but raising him and and tending his needs and keeping him safe. And then Jesus is taken in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was brought before Pilate and Herod. And even when Jesus was being beaten and paraded through the streets of Jerusalem and up to Golgotha, I'm sure Mary had this calmness and this confidence if, well, because she's pondered in her heart for 30 years, 30 plus years. This is the word that the angel told me. God's word does not fail. The angel told her she's holding on to this. And so she goes up. And she sees that Jesus is now to the cross. And she's probably expecting him, well, he's going to come down. You know, like this is going to end. He'll get down and we'll be fine again. We'll just keep moving. And as she waited at the foot of the cross, hour after hour, watching the life drain from her son, God's son, She must have been just waiting. Any second now, it's going to happen. He's going to come down. Any second now. She knew that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, just waiting for Jesus to get down off that cross. Why would you kill the Son of God? They don't know about Sunday yet. So here's a thought. She remembers that Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus called him forth and Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. How is Jesus going to raise himself from the dead when he's dead? This is something that I've been just pondering. The understanding, Jesus being the son of God, he had the authority to raise people from the dead. In the Father's name. But Jesus is on the cross and his life's draining out of him. And then he was dead. How's that going to happen? He can't speak those words. And I wonder what was happening to those words that she'd been pondering all of Jesus' life. When the reality before her is there's no life left in his body. She would have been absolutely devastated, heartbroken, confused. Maybe I didn't get it right. Maybe I'd imagined all those things. Maybe the angel hadn't been there. Maybe he didn't say that God's word won't fail. I would have been triple guessing all of that. And maybe you would have too. Or maybe you would have been strong in your faith and said, well, but God's word doesn't fail. I think she would have been shattered And I think she would have been losing hope, especially when they took Jesus down from the cross and there was no pulse. The second person I want to consider this morning is Peter. And so in Luke chapter 22, verse 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. And he replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. 
follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. So they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I wonder how many of the disciples grasped the weightiness of the words that Jesus had said. So it's at this point that we're going to pause and we're going to gather around the communion table. We have two this morning. Now I'm aware that we have some guests with us and you're very welcome. And um, perhaps for some of you this might not be a practice that you would normally do. And so there is no pressure on you. If you don't feel comfortable, um, you're, please don't. Don't feel that you need to participate. Well, the followers of Christ, and if you would like to, just gather at the tables. And we have some bread and we have some juice representing the cup and the, and the food that was passed out. And if you would like to um, make your way to the tables and just hold that. And as I read the next portion of scripture, we'll actually take communion with us. So if you'd like to do that now. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread 
and he gave thanks and broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's drink. So skipping down to verse 31, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, Before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times that you know me. But the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. Now, Jesus had renamed Simon to Peter. And he told him that he would, as in Peter, would betray Jesus. And Peter was full of of faith, full of companionship, full full of I'm not sure what, and said, no, I will, I will follow you. I'm ready to go to jail with you. I'm ready to die with you. And Jesus knew Peter and he knew what was coming and he said, you know what? You're actually going to deny me three times. And I can imagine that Peter was thinking, no way. I'm with you, Lord. I'm right there. I'm right behind you. And what happens? They go off to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus gets taken away. And there's no further opportunity for Peter to actually make it right with Jesus. And he's left knowing that he actually betrayed Jesus. Because when the rooster crowed three times, so Jesus was taken away in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was taken away by the soldiers and everybody scattered. But Peter followed at a distance. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means he didn't want to get caught up in it all, but he wanted to know what was happening. He wanted to see where Jesus was, see what was going on. And the first time we hear is that a young servant girl said, oh, here's one of them, this guy here, he's one of them. And Peter said, no, no, that's, I don't know him. That was the first time. And then the second time, there was another a person who said, he's with them. And Peter said, no, 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 that's not me. I'm not one of them. Now, I reckon at this point he probably didn't even notice, didn't even realise that he'd actually denied Jesus. That's twice. And then the third time it happened, the rooster crowed. And imagine that gut-wrenching feel of, oh, no, 
I've done that three times now. Can you imagine the emptiness, that sick feeling? It's like, oh no, I've denied Jesus three times. If the signal was the rooster crowing, Jesus said, no, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. I can't imagine the devastation that Peter would have been feeling. And I wonder if he remembered that Jesus said, you know, Satan's going to sift you, but I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail. And when you return, comfort your brothers. Me, I would be so consumed with I have failed, I have denied the Saviour three times just like he said I would. Woe is me, I'm so, I'm so bad. There was a certain closeness between Jesus and Peter and yet in the end, Peter was unreliable. And Jesus had already told him what was going to happen but I don't think... Peter actually recognised all of that because his gushingness, his enthusiasm, his, his willingness to follow Jesus, I don't think it allowed him to consider that he actually might fail, that he actually might deny Jesus. And the line there that stands out to me is, when you have turned back, because that's pointing to hope, you will turn back, and when you do, comfort your brothers. But I think what lingers in my thoughts are Peter didn't get to apologise. He didn't get to make it right. I don't know about you, but when I've had a broken relationship with someone, I can't wait to make it right. I just want it to be over. I just want to restore that relationship. I just want to say, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Peter didn't get that opportunity to say that and to make it right. So he would have been carrying a weight of sadness, of just failure and defeat. And then the final person I'd like to touch on today is Cleopas. Some people say Clopas. Now, we don't know an awful lot about Cleopas other than it appears that he's one of the disciples on the road to Emmaus and you're thinking, ah, 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 that's in between Friday and Sunday. But I want to use Cleopas this morning to show the thoughts that were going around at the time of Jesus' death. So remember I said with Mary, she would have been waiting, waiting, waiting for him to get off the cross, to come down. And then when there was no pulse, how is he going to raise himself from the dead when he can't speak? Because it's gone. The life is gone. With Peter, he didn't get to make it right. He knew that Jesus said, when you, come, when you turn back, comfort your brothers. But that, that unease, that that devastation, that hopelessness that both of those people were carrying. And Cleopas isn't, isn't any different. So in Luke 2, starting at verse 17, he, it, he, he says, Jesus, we know it's Jesus, but he asked them saying, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Now in the New King James Version, it says, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad. 
And they stood still and their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. Now here we've got a follower of Jesus waiting and hoping, but that hope has not been realised. And clearly the hope has faded. It's three days now. We hoped he was going to be redeeming Israel. It's not happened. He's been in the grave for three days now. See, even Jesus' close followers didn't realise, didn't grasp his true identity. Cleopas revealed his own misunderstandings about Jesus during the conversation on the road to Emmaus. When he speaks, he reveals that he's pretty much given up on hope at this point and I can imagine he would have been disappointed and disillusioned. So what we need to remember is at this time, during Jesus' time in Israel and in Jerusalem, it was, under, it was under Roman occupation. And people were awaiting the Messiah. Now, when they were awaiting the Messiah, they were hoping that it was going to be some kind of Moses who was going to lead their people out of the occupation, who was going to redeem them politically, socially, and make their lives free, that they wouldn't be occupied by invaders, that that was going to be a new season for them, that they would be restored to their land and their faith. And they didn't realise, and I don't think we would have realised either, they didn't realise that actually we're talking about spirit, we're talking about redemption of your soul, your spirit. It's not just about having a free life, it's actually having that free spirit that's, that's come alive again to God. So when Jesus died on the cross, hope and expectation would have died as well. How long would you wait when you see before you the reality that life has left this body? So this morning, so Luke, could you hop up please? Thank you. This morning we've looked at three different people from three different perspectives and, and each one of them has settled in, in disappointment, in disillusion, in hopelessness, in sadness in heartbrokenness, in overwhelming grief. And we sit somewhat in judgment thinking, where was your faith? And that's because we know that three days later the story was going to completely turn around. But during that time, from the moment Jesus died on the cross, there's this sorrow there's this confusion, there's this hopelessness. That future has died as well. That liberty and freedom 
and the expectation of life changing has died as well. And so as we conclude, I want us to hold on to the thought that we know a lot of people for whom Easter stops on Friday, that Jesus died and that hope died with him. And a lot of people we know would just stop there. They're unaware of the reality of Resurrection Sunday where faith is restored and hope bursts forth. And my question to all of us is what do we do about that? Now I would encourage you to come back on Sunday and bring other folks with you to hear the exciting part of the story. Mm, It's not a story. Of the reality. Of the truth. Of Jesus' resurrection. And the hope and expectation of his return. Let's pray. Father.